This podcast is brought to you by your mom. I remember way back when, when your mom used to take me to school and she used to bring me to the back room, and we may or may not have taken our relationship to the next level. I can neither confirm nor deny which age your mom did this to me, but we had a great time, and we still stay in contact. To your mom, before this podcast begins, please say hi to your mom for me. Welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. In this episode, I will be talking about Resident Evil Apocalypse, but I'll get to that at the end of the episode. I was listening to We'll See You in Hell, as per usual, and they were having a, de- a kind of a debate about the Beatles. I, I kind of quote-unquote discovered the Beatles in college, um, I'm sure I've heard their songs before, but in college I went through a brief Beatles phase. You know, I don't know if you go through this too, but I go through music phases where I get obsessed with a band or an artist or a group, and I that's all I listen to for a few months, and then I kind of grow out of it. My life is just a combination of various obsessions, um, beat to beat, and I like them. I li- I listen to a lot of a lot of their stuff, and now I I wouldn't even say I love the Beatles, but I I like their songs. I I never really volunteered to to listen to them. Not lately. Not for a few years. But whenever their song comes up, I I like it. I enjoy it. But anyway, um, Pat was saying that he loves the Beatles, and Joe says that he hates the Beatles. He thinks they suck. <sighs> Should I edit that out? I'll just leave it in. Is that disgusting? It's disgusting. That was a big one. Um I'll just <laughs> I'll decide later. So Joe was saying that he was listening to McCartney 2 remastered and his uh, his opinion is that he's never heard a Beatles song that's ever been more like I forget his exact words but ever more interesting intriguing or challenging than temporary secretary and I had never heard that song title before I'd never heard it before in my life so I'm like Paul McCartney has a song called temporary secretary so i look it up amazon music i listen to it it immediately takes me aback because it's like you know that electro pop keyboard looped um intro and it's a weird song and my my face and my eyes were kind of scrunched up together like this is weird it's it's a little cringe but it it does have that quality where um right after you stop you're like did did i like this did i hate it did i not like it um it's a weird it was a weird experience for me especially since i i'd never even heard the title before never heard the song till 2022 um and i i did want to listen to it again and i've listened to it a few times I played it for my wife. She thinks it's weird. Um, it is a weird song, but 
I will say I kind of like it. It does. It does have that quality. Is like. It, it it's oddly catchy. It's it gets in your head, and right after you stop, you're like, I kind of want to listen to it again. I don't think I would agree with Joe saying that temporary secretary, f- as an example, is better than any and all Beatles songs. I w- I don't think I would say that, but. I dig the song, and I might check out more solo McCartney stuff. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I've been listening to... I'm still hooked on Saves the Day ever since I saw them live on August 19th. Um, I want to listen to their whole catalog. And, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to do moving forward. I almost kind of want to do, like for the bonus episodes of this podcast maybe review some other albums but who knows maybe the next time i record i might lose interest um completely um i you know i'll just say that i've been listening every song that i listen to in through being cool i really like i really do and stay what you are to me is a a masterpiece no no skippable songs i i've said it many times before but i love that album and prior to listening to through being cool i would say that the songs i was only really familiar with shoulder to the wheel of course and you vandal and i i would probably say that you vandal is my favorite track between those two but there was so there was one song that this is the beauty of saves of the day and beauty of music in general or maybe annoying thing about music in general but there was a particular song on through being cool that pierced through my mind before i knew the song title before i knew any of the lyrics but it was the one that went uh, excuse my terrible singing voice, but it goes, and so I heard that melody in the back of my head, and I'm like, "What is that song?" So I I, I found it again, looked it up, and I've listened to it a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of times, and that song is banned from the back porch. I like it a lot. Um, there is a acoustic version where it's Chris Conley um, singing and playing guitar, acoustic guitar. Uh, there's a video of it. You can find it on YouTube. There is a, a few live versions. Some you have to kind of dig. There was like a 2019, I think it's Hate hate six films or something they they have a version of it they have a whole live concert and you dig through it and he and they play it and i love the song i just um you know the the lyrics separate from the songs sometimes can be corny and i get that you know i was listening to freakish is my favorite saves the day song and if if you read it 
without the song, I can see how it can be corny. Like, um, I walked, I forget the lyric, but it's like, I walked a thousand miles until my heels bleed. I sang out my song in case the birds want to sing along. Sounds corny, but in the song, it's amazing, really. And then there's a lyric in Band from the Back Porch where he says, I sipped down warm ginger ale. And there was a comment saying, like, that line always gets me. Like, it it doesn't really mean anything, but when you hear it, it's awesome. Anyway, I, I don't... Well, I do want to keep talking about saves today, but suffice to say, I've been really loving them. I'm going to try to listen to their later albums, and I hope that the later albums um, grow on me. I also want to introduce a, a new segment called Good Good Lyric, Bad Lyric. And we'll see if I get to it, but basically I, I want to list a good lyric by a band. Let's say, for example, Saves the Day. And then a bad lyric from Saves the Day. And I'm I'm hesitant to do it because I don't want to shit on the band. But obviously, if you call it good lyric, bad lyric, it's kind of shitting on the band. But I don't, I don't mean it to be. It's I just kind of want it to be a fun segment. But we'll see if I even get to it. I don't know. Also, I read that there is a full covered album of "Stay What You Are" by a band called the Holophonics, which is a I believe it's a ska band. I listened to some of it. Uh, and look, I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they it exists. I'm glad they put it out. Uh, five seconds after hearing the vocals, the vocals were not for me. But, you know, when the ska part, like they did the, I listened to like At, at Your Funeral. And then they do the slow intro. But when the ska part kicks in, like the, Doot stats, doot stats, doot, and then the the guitar. Dun, 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 dun. Um, it's fun. I kind of wish they would have done a an instrumental cover of the album. Uh, vocals again, not for me, but I don't I don't want to shit on the guy. But I kind of wish it reminded me of Saves Save Ferris. Are they still around? I'm gonna guess no. But. Their cover, I only know, I really only know them for their um, cover of Come On Eileen, which is a killer, killer, killer cover. Um, it's a great, great cover. I'm looking at their Wikipedia page from Orange County, California, which is where I'm from. There's like 20 people listed under their past members which is interesting it says they were active 1995 to 19 to 2003 and then there was a hiatus and then they started back up again 2013 until the present literally could not name you one song by them other than the come on eileen cover um again it's a really great cover um, I wish they would do a, a, a ska cover of Stay What You Are. That would have been awesome. Anyway, what do I have on my list? So I will say, you know, 
I I talked about this Cora post, this Cora article, where they were they were talking about anime that had gone too far. And the first on the list was Higurashi, and I got all excited. I got so excited that I was like, I'm gonna make a bunch of bonus episodes dedicated to sick anime. But already I've lost interest. And I am giving up on Higurashi because I I got to the story like spoiler alert if you haven't watched Higurashi when they cry gao or go. Spoiler alert. I was enjoying it for the most part. Every four episodes, the there's a different story arc, but it focuses on the same characters. But it it kind of focuses on the main character Kei Chan, and ha- and it focuses on him and the relationship between him and one other specific character. So the story arc. Every four episodes a character or more dies and then the timeline resets it's confusing and i'm pretty sure that everything would at least be more clear by the end of the the series but i finally got to the the story arc where satoko sakoto was getting abused and i thought I was enjoying it, not because she was getting abused, but because the I found the story interesting and intriguing, and I, I liked the story. But they got, I got so annoyed by this anime. And I don't know, I guess the argument could be like, well, you're going to give up on every every time you get annoyed. I'm like, well, I was so supremely annoyed by the anime that i decided to give up on it and what was happening is my first sign of trouble was they wanted to do something about sakoto because she was being abused by her uncle and keichan was getting in an argument with shion and shion was very upset very angry and she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to kill the uncle. And Kei-chan was like, no, I won't let you. And they were getting in an actual fight with violence. And Kei-chan says, I won't let you. I want to live in a world where we can be all, spend time together and play together. And I was like, this is corny as fuck. And then basically... He keeps escalating the situation. And he's like, we can't let Satoko continue to be abused. And he's like rallying all these kids and all these people. We have to stand for... And I just kept getting more and more annoyed. Uh, First of all, you're a bunch of kids, right? And that's the thing. Like, if it was real life you kids would be crying in a corner not doing anything you wouldn't be protesting you would be depressed and crying in a corner and calling for your parents you know what i mean it's the reason why i vastly prefer a game like legend of zelda twilight princess versus wind waker even though i like wind waker a lot but it's hard for me to believe that it, it he looks like a kid 
in Wind Waker and he's somehow going to defeat the most evil, powerful being in the world, Ganon or Ganondorf or whatever. And I think he's still a kid in Twilight Princess, but at least, you know, I can believe a 17-year-old versus a like a 10-year-old or whatever. So that's my first issue with this anime. It's a bunch of kids and they're like, we're going to stop this girl from being abused. It's like, again, if it was real life, you would be helpless and hopeless. And this is dumb. And then this whatever that phrase is the straw that broke the camel's back um the the final nail in the head in the coffin the hell, head nail coffin um the the situation kept getting elevated and elevated so they end up talking to this council of old people who don't want to help satoko because her family is a hojos and they're like viewed as an, an an enemy of sorts because of past because of this weird situation with the dam they always talk about this weird dam situation it's like oh, like give it up give this dam up and the old people are like we we can't help their family da 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 and then Chan is like we have to help Sotoko and I won't leave until you help her. And the old people were like, basically like, you need to watch your tongue. And then Kei-chan was like, you need to watch your old, you need to watch your tongue, old man. And I'm like, I was agreeing with the old folk. I'm like, sit your fucking ass down, child. Literally shut the fuck up. Um, I just found Kei-chan to be really, really annoying. And I think you're supposed to side with him because he's the protagonist hero and the moment where i was like okay i'm done is when he was talking to the old lady and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna take this bat and kill you with it and she was like what and i'm like we're supposed to get behind this guy he just threatened to kill an old lady with a bat and we're supposed to be behind him like I I literally paused the anime and I was like, I'm giving up. I, I I'm so annoyed by this anime. I don't want to, cause I'm I'm about at the halfway point. So like, I'm I'm on ep- I was watching episode twelve, and I believe it's twenty four episodes. And at that moment when he was talking to the old lady, I was like, I'm done. I'm just done. I I don't care enough about these characters. I don't care enough about the story to resolve it. And this whole project for me started was because there was a sick, a list of sick animes. So I ended up Googling like Higurashi nail scene and I watched the scene. I was like, eh, I mean, I watched it out of context. Sure. Was it disgusting, disturbing? Sure. But um was it kind of confusing sure and me Mion was telling Shion to use this nail remover some sort of torture device and she was screaming and yeah it's disturbing but i don't know i just i completely lost interest in the anime so i'm done with higurashi 
I'm gonna see if I can find something else. I, I a couple of the anime I looked up, uh, they're not streaming on Funimation. So like my five ninety nine a month doesn't cover any of like Elfin Lead is on Prime Video, but it's English only. I'm like I don't want to watch it in English. I want to watch it with the Japanese audio, and a couple of like Shiki you can't find anywhere. So I. I don't know where you can watch these anime like Crunchyroll. Like I have to subscribe to all these services just so I can. I just have a mild curiosity about sick anime. It's not like I have an obsession or a deep interest. It's like, I don't know. Anyway, so Higurashi is done. Um, I rewatched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon on HBO Max. I showed it to my wife who never heard of it, never seen it, and I think it's a wonderful film. I think it holds up in a big way. It's 22 years old at this point. One thing I thought was interesting about the movie is that they all the actors, all the main actors um, were fluent in other languages. Um, so, for example, Michelle Yeoh is Malaysian. So she grew up um, speaking English and Malay. Let me see if I can find it. Of course I'm not going to be able to find it. Because why would I be able to find it? Um, so the accents were different. Chow Yun-Fat is from Hong Kong and speaks Cantonese natively. Michelle Yeoh is from Malaysia, as I said. So she learned the Mandarin lines phonetically. Chang Chen, who's the low or dark cloud, is from Taiwan, and he speaks Mandarin in a Taiwanese accent. And only Zhang Ziyi spoke with a native Mandarin accent that Ang Lee wanted. Um, I just, I, I love the film. The fight choreography is still amazing. It, it holds up the story. I, I like the story. I, it feels like it, it reminds me of Star Wars because you have this pupil, pupil, pupil. You have this young person, Zhang Ziyi, Jen, who she has a lot of potential and she's a young woman who wants to be free, but she's the daughter of an aristocrat. So she's kind of destined to be married off to some family for political purposes, but she wants to be free. But she's been under the influence of a a bad woman uh, a, a criminal woman and she's been learning like the the secret martial arts from a a bad person and chow yun fat who you know this movie is not about superheroes but it might as well be it feels like chow yun fat's character ling li mu bai feels like a a superhero he feels like a grand master of sorts a master swordsman and Michelle Yeoh 
feels like a grandmaster as well and she is the head of a like a security company um and you know there's there's a little romance inserted into the story the fight scenes are awesome i i remember reading that zhang ziyi was a had a lot of dance experience but no martial arts and you would think that would be written somewhere in the wikipedia but i can't find it so maybe i imagined it or maybe that was a lie i don't know but um i just i like it a lot it's really great and i feel like the the tr- obviously the most tragic part is that li mu bai really tried to reach out to her and wanted to teach her and that would have been that would have been the best thing like if this good person this good grandmaster was able to teach her and and he's like i i feel good in you you're a good person you just need guidance and she she's she's almost i don't know if i want to say she's too far gone but she's not interested she's like she's like kind of like forget you or whatever but anyway it's a great movie i highly recommend it um fight scenes are awesome michelle yeoh is awesome chow yun fat zhang ziyi cheng chen check it out um what else did i see i watched death game as talked talked about on we'll see you in hell by joe de rosa death game was remade by eli roth in knock knock with keanu reeves Anna de Armas and Eli Roth's ex-wife. I forget her name. But Death Game, let me look it up. Death Game is Colleen Camp, who I'm just going to go ahead and say and that I'm a big fan of. I want to look at her entire catalog. Um Sandra Locke, who I only know in association with uh Clint Eastwood but I I didn't know what she looked like until this movie and Seymour Castle who I was unfamiliar with as as well Death Game was also known as The Seducers 1977 American psycholo- psychological thriller film directed by Peter S Traynor and basically, like, if you see Knock Knock, this is the, well, it's quote-unquote the original. But there there was a movie I included in, like, the special features of this bl- Blu-ray for Death Game called Little Miss Innocence from 1973, I think, which was a sexploitation film. And basically this, this motorist... Um, picks up two girls and then it's the same kind of thing but anyway this this guy um seymour castle he's he plays like this rich guy and his he's happily married and he has a kid the kid's staying with his grandmother in san francisco i believe he hurts himself or he gets sick or something and so the mom goes away to to go visit him to see if he's okay and he stays at home and then these two young attractive women on a rainy night 
knock on his door and then go in. And then he's very nice to them and he tends to their whatever they need. Like, hey, can we use your phone? Sure, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes over to the bathroom to see what they're doing. And they're both like naked in the tub and they seduce him. They have like a a three-way, a menage a trois, as the French refer to it. Um, I was going to say the, the wobbly H, H, but that doesn't make sense. Or the, the Eiffel Tower, but that doesn't make sense because it's a... An MFF, if you will, and not an MF, MMF. Not that I kn- uh, would know what these um, abbreviations are. Knock Knock stars Lorenza Izzo, as per the Wikipedia page. So, um, critical reception for Death Game has been mixed among reviewers and motion picture journalists, while some read into the plot and violence as social commentary. Others rejected it as meaningless exploitation. Um, as for the movie, I thought it was pretty fun. And I liked the performances mostly. Uh, Sandra Locke and Colleen Camp were very good as two kind of unhinged young attractive girls you really believe Sandra Locke especially you really believe that she's kind of like just crazy and they have kind of baggage and spoiler alert they end up like murdering a guy and they're just crazy and you really believe it you really believe that these two chicks are oh that's two ladies two women are nuts Uh, that's offensive too um the you really believe that these two women are unstable problematic perhaps and uh, even knock not like i showed knock knock to my wife she didn't like it i think mainly because she likes john wick a lot and she doesn't like she didn't like him seeing in this role seeing him in this role in knock knock and you get so uncomfortable because this guy is, he's a, well, he is a good guy and other than, you know, cheating on his wife with two hot women. But he's a good guy. He's a good father. He's a good man. And you start to think, like, what is the point of this? Why are they torturing him? And you don't really get an answer in either movie, in either Death Game and Knock Knock. You're like, why are they doing this to him? And um, it's very uncomfortable. I think that's the point. And the thing that I started to think about is it, it's it's like a metaphor for you, you get to have your fun. That's as portrayed by the menage as the French say. And then you have to deal with the consequences. And the consequences in this is you are literally helpless while these two women destroy your life, destroy your home, destroy your things. And I I guess that's in in real life. It's like people trying to blackmail you and say, Hey, you did this, so here's your punishment, and you are helpless. I guess that's the point, but it just, when you watch it, it's kind of like, I don't know why they're doing this. 
And towards the end of the movie, it really felt dragged out to me. There were some scenes where they're just showing like the the hourglass. They're showing like 30 seconds of the hourglass and it's a boring scene. They're showing him tied up, not moving. It's like, can we can we get on with the movie? It's kind of boring at this point. So I feel like towards the end, it really drug out. Um, I like that in Knock Knock, you see the the beginning of the movie. He's playing with the kids, and you you really establish that he is a good man, he's a good husband, and he's a good father. In this, they don't show the kid at all, which is weird, because you don't you don't feel it as much as in Knock Knock, where you feel his love for the kids. So, interesting movie. I watched it on Blu-ray. You know, Joe talked about it, and I did an impulse buy. I spent like $41 for this Blu-ray. It's a Blu-ray by Grindhouse releasing in a special edition Blu-ray. Um, I, I want to check out the commentary by Eli Roth and Colleen Camp. So hopefully that's interesting. I haven't checked it out yet, but uh, check it out. Check it out death game i also watched the first two episodes of yellow jackets i watched about 30 minutes of the first episode by myself i liked it a lot and then so i'm like i wonder if my wife would like it so i started over and showed her the first episode and she liked it so we went on to watch the second episode and it's very good and it's very interesting. So I recommend checking it out. I watched it on Prime, but I believe I have the Showtime um, add-on. A spoiler alert if you haven't seen Yellow Jackets. Um, fast forward a, a couple minutes, but I've only seen the first two episodes. But in the first episode... Sorry, I just hit the mic. In the first episode... They don't show Christina Ricci until the very end of the episode. And in my opinion, I'm like, well, she looks a lot like the actress Christina Ricci looks a lot like young Jackie. So I'm like, oh, she's going, Christina Ricci, the actress, is going to play old Jackie. But throughout the first episode, they don't show old Jackie at all. And I'm like, that's weird. Well, I guess there, it's going to be a surprise. And they keep showing young Jackie. I'm like, well, it's going to be Christina Ricci. It's going to be some sort of surprise. You get to the end of the first episode and Christina Ricci is playing old Misty, which it just threw me for a loop because I I really thought she was going to be Jackie. So I'm assuming, unless they're trying to throw you off, but I'm assuming... I think everyone would assume at this point, after watching two episodes, that young Jackie dies. Because so far, there's um, old Misty, well, quote-unquote old, older Misty, present-day Misty, present-day Natalie, present-day Ty, Ty, and present-day Shauna. So they're going to show you what happens on this uh, you know, after the plane crash. But 
it's very good so far, and I would recommend it. Yellow Jackets Prime Time uh, Prime Video Showtime add on. Uh, Mel- Melanie Linsky, always good. Christina Ricci, always good. Um, I forget her name. Who plays Natalie? I apologize. Um, but it's good. Check it out. So let's get to Resident Evil Apocalypse. The reason, um, I just want to make a note that I'm the episodes are probably going to be significantly shorter than usual because I didn't notice that on Pinecast, I pay $10 a month to use Pinecast for this podcast. There's something called Upload Surge that I saw. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Well, actually, I tried to post a new episode and it wouldn't let me. I'm like, it, and it says you don't have enough space for this for the current plan you're on. I'm like, what do you mean? I play, I pay ten dollars a month. It should mean up, uh, it should mean unlimited everything. And I look up what upload surge is, and they're like, well, you have a certain amount. Y- your episodes need to be a certain size, and you are allowed a certain amount to exceed that size but there is a limit and the lim- the the size that you're allowed to exceed it it varies and it resets at various times i'm like jeez so it it was a surprise to me because some of my episodes are almost 2 hours i believe one or two exceed 2 hours and I, I like talking about myself. I, it's therapeutic for myself. It's a one-way conversation, which I think most people enjoy. That's why social media is big. But I, I got to really kind of um, put my foot down on the structure of this thing. That doesn't make sense. I don't know why I just said that. It doesn't. What, what am I trying to say? I gotta. I can't keep meandering with my thoughts, I guess. So... I'm only I'm under 40 minutes and I'm already at the movie of the episode. Anyway, Resident Evil Apocalypse. I watched it half yesterday where I was very tired and sleepy and then I paused it and then I finished it today. Resident Evil Apocalypse is a 2004 action horror film directed by Alexander Witt. Let's let's look at Alexander Witt. Um, he is a Chilean American filmmaker. He looks like a whitey, so he was born in Santiago, Chile. Uh, I guess he, I guess he could pass as a Chilean. I don't know. Looks like a kind of looks British. I don't know how you can look British. You're just a white man, but Chilean American filmmaker and cinematographer, mostly known for his work as a com- camera operator and second unit director, including regular collaborations with director Ridley Scott. So, according to filmograph to his filmography. He's been working as a second unit director since 1994. He worked on Speed, Twisters, Speed 2, Cruise Control, X-Files, 
Inspector Gadget, Gladiator. He's he has a lot on his docket. It's not the right word, but um, he directed Resident Evil Apocalypse. So he's mostly a second unit director. I I don't know what that means. Um, he. I guess he hasn't directed much. He was a director of red, a movie called Red Squad and a movie called Feathering the Wind. Both are not clickable on Wikipedia. So let's check out his IMDb page. Um, second unit director, he has... So camera and electrical department, he has 66 credits. Second unit director or assistant director, he has 42 credits. Director, he has five. Um, so he did this movie, Resident Evil Apocalypse, uh, looks like two commercials in 2019, 2020 for Land Rovers, something called Saiyan, post-production, and something called Feathering the Wind. So that's the director of this movie, written by Paul W.S. Anderson, who did the first he direct re- wrote and directed um Resident Evil the first one he directed Mortal Kombat he wrote and directed Alien Alien versus Predator we talked about him last time um he wrote and directed a bunch of the Resident Evil movies including Afterlife, Retribution, and the final chapter, as well as Monster Hunter, and he's married to Mila Jovovich. So, let me just talk about the movie. I think the movie, in pretty much in all aspects, in all regards, is a major step up from the first movie. Um, in terms of action, in terms of acting, they got, you know, Mila Jovovich, I like a lot. They have Sienna Guillory as Jill Valentine, who I'm not familiar with Sienna Guillory. Um, I recognize the name Jill Valentine from the YouTube videos that YouTube keeps recommending to me, in which she's nude or in some ridiculous outfit she's also wearing a ridiculous outfit in this movie which i really appreciated um a guy named oded fair who i i recognize from the mummy movies um he plays carlos Oliveira. i'm assuming he's from the game i'm not familiar with the game thomas Crushman as Major Timothy Kane. I'm not familiar with him. Sophie Vavasur. Um, Jeez, what the? Angie. She's 30 now. And she's a... Time is disturbing. Time is just really disturbing. She was the little girl 
in this movie, if I'm reading this correctly, um, she played An- Angela An- Angie Ashford, and she's thirty. How old is this movie? Two thousand four. God. I'm just depressed at how old I am, I guess. Um, let me just look at her filmography. She was in Evelyn as a little girl. I don't know. Um, I don't know any of these movies. She was in Bring It On Worldwide Cheer Smack. That's a dumb name. She was in The Seed in 2001. Um... Let's see if the seed is available on Just Watch. The seed. 2021. AMC. It's on Shutter. I believe I still. If it hasn't, if my card hasn't been declined, I believe I still have Shutter AMC on my Amazon account. So I'll see if I can watch the seed to see what she looks like as a. 30-year-old, or I guess 29-year-old woman. Oh, God, that was depressing. Um, What else? Who else is in this? Jared Jared Harris, who I didn't know was in this movie, but I recognized immediately, and I recognize him mostly from Mad Men, but he was also in one or two of the uh, Sherlock Holmes movies. He's a very good actor. Also, Chernobyl, I just remembered. He was very good in Chernobyl. Mike Epps in um, a couple of attempted comic relief in this movie. Um, Oh, Ian, Ian Glenn, who I recognize from the Game of Thrones... Zach Ward, he's a Canadian actor, and he was doing a ridiculous accent. Um, Not ridiculous, but he's supposed to be German or something, something foreign. Anyway, so the... Some of the effects in... some of There are some things in the original Resident Evil from 2002, I believe, that were ridiculous. Um... Uh, the most egregious, I would say, is the cr- the creature that's running and jumping and f- uh, crawling around. It looked really bad in 2002's Resident Evil. In this one, they have a bunch of creatures, and I, you know, it did it didn't look great, but I think it it's a, looks significantly better than 2002. The acting, I think, was significantly better. Mainly because I don't remember the character's name or the actor's name, but there was one character in the first one who the acting I thought was pretty, pretty bad. And the first one I felt was pretty low effort all around. And this one, I think everything was stepped up in terms of performances. I think it was directed better, but maybe um, the budget was bigger. Let me see. Let me try to compare these two. So Resident Evil 2002 
had a budget of 33 million resident evil apocalypse had 45 million so that's 12 million more in terms of budget that apocalypse had um resident evil 2002 had a box office of 103 million apocalypse had 129.3 million so it surpassed the original film here's a line on the wikipedia of apocalypse that was surprising to me because i really thought that this movie was going to be generally well more liked um let me look up resident evil apocalypse they have that little section um of course they're not showing it i don't see it when you google it it sometimes has that little blurb oh here it is here it is 91 percent liked this movie and and i was like that makes sense or actually during the first half i i was surprised because i wasn't enjoying the first half but i i did mention that i was tired second half i liked a lot more um actually i'm jumping uh, as per usual this podcast is a mess and i forgot to give a synopsis of the film but basically so they they give a little recap of the first film at the beginning of this film so there's a there's a evil corporation umbrella corporation that's doing these weird experimentations and they have this thing called the T-virus that got out. So it started in the hive and then it it got out into Raccoon City. And at the end of the first one, you got Alice who escaped the facility. And the only other survivor was this guy named Matt, but he was infected. And there was a doctor who said... Um, bring him to the nemesis program that's the end of the first movie so in this movie basically they're dealing with the uh, quote-unquote apocalypse the end of the world situation for raccoon city and there's a bunch of people trying to get out of raccoon city and then the leader who's kane he's the evil bad guy he's like close off the gates we're not going to contain the or we can't let people out because everyone's infected. So we're just going to destroy the city is essentially the story. Jill Valentine, who they introduced by a cop saying, Jill Valentine was right. Oh, no, we got to kill the zombies. And Jill Valentine, as I mentioned, is wearing a ridiculous outfit. And also, as I mentioned, I really appreciated it. Let me just... Um, Jill Valentine on the Resident Evil wiki. Can I get a voice? Um, portrayer. Um, Inez. I don't know who that is. A voice. Una Kavanaugh, Catherine Disher, Heidi Anderson, Tara Platt. Um, Tara Platt, who is... I forget his name. Wife. 
Spider-Man's wife. Um, Patricia Jolie, Michelle Ruff, Kari Walgren, Nicole Tompkins, Hiromi Tsuru, Atsuko Yuya, Inez, um, Julia Voth. I don't know any of the... I don't, I don't know what... Let me just move on. I'm, I'm getting dizzy. So the story goes... Um, it focuses initially on four people. Jill Valentine, her f- friend and fellow cop... Or I think she's a former cop or an off-duty cop or something. I'm not sure. Her friend Peyton, this news reporter, Terry, I think her name is. Um, Well, actually, it's the three of them. They're trying to escape. And then Alice kind of joins up with them. And it was my initial thought was that, okay, there's going to be some kind of conflict because... Jill Valentine is this straightforward badass character, but so so is Alice. So it's almost like too much of a good thing, like two similar things, but I mean it was fine. And then so they team up with Alice. They get a mysterious phone call from Jared Harris and he's like I'm a doctor, I can get you out, but I need you to help my daughter. She's at the school. So the four of them go to the school looking for the girl and then also there is Carlos Oliveira with his team that gets smaller and smaller as time goes on he ends up joining forces with them they find the girl and then they try to bring her to the helicopter but the bad guys were waiting for them Um, also Mike Epps is just kind of a wandering dude with two custom guns he joins the party and um there's also this weird creature called the nemesis program who is killing everyone and is being controlled by kane and then at the end of the movie they get to the helicopter um there was one scene that i actually rewound because i thought it was pretty cool it was when the dogs were chasing after jill valentine and angie and she turns on the gas in the room in the kitchen or whatever and she lights a match with one hand i don't know how that's possible she throws it but the light the match goes out so mission failed but then they all of a sudden cut to alice who blows smoke out of her mouth she flicks a cigarette into the room the dogs run after them Uh, jill valentine jumps dives and alice grabs a fire fire blanket and then angie runs in front of her and then alice covers both her and angie with the fire blanket and protects them from the resulting explosion i don't know if that's I, I'm going to guess that that's not entirely accurate or true to life. And I think if they tried it, everyone would die. But I actually liked that scene a lot. So I rewound it. I was like, damn, that was cool. I, I can't say that for any scene in 2002 Resident Evil. And so at the end of the movie, 
Kane forces her Alice to fight against the nemesis and he's like you're like brother and sister you are um, similar genes similar experimentation um, similar strength you must fight each other we must see you in action we must see who is stronger I don't know what accent that was and so they f- and she refuses and then he ends up killing, spoiler alert, Jared Harris's character, Dr. Ashford. And then Kane was like, he was an important part of the, the Umbrella Academy uh, Corporation. And, um, but these other people, I do not care about at all. And she's like, fine, I'll fight him. So they fight. And then in the middle of the fight, she's winning. And then she realizes that he is Matt. Which, you know, I think most people were made that call long ago. And Matt was infected and they put him in this nemesis program and made him into this creature. And so Matt, I guess he still has some soul left inside of him. So he turns against Umbrella Corporation and helps them escape on the helicopter. And helicopter you know alice kicks kane off the helicopter he ends up getting bit by first jared harris harris and then a bunch of the other zombies and then the helicopter crashes they can they only find alice alice ends up naked in kind of a a water tank she seemingly escapes and then gets out of the building and meets up with Jill Valentine, Oliveira, uh, Mike Epps, and Angie. But then the dude from Game of Thrones is like, let them go. Activate Project Alice or whatever. So I guess the the idea is that she is another she's still programmed and she thinks she escaped but they let her escape and they're gonna see what she's still a program she's not i guess the point is that she's never free of this corporation of whatever she's always under some sort of control anyway that's not really a synopsis that's basically the whole movie that i just spat out of me um stuttering um and I, I'm I'm probably overrating it mainly because that first movie was pretty bad. I liked the general story of it and how it was a cool like especially the end scene. It was like a cool origin story, but I thought the execution was pretty bad, and I just thought this one stepped everything up. Like I said, in terms of acting, performance, effects, there's still some weird effects like, I don't know what you would call it, but some scenes, they're either slowed slowed down or sped up, and the result is just kind of this cheesy motion effect, and they still do that plenty in this movie, which I did not care for. Um, but I just felt like in terms of effort, in terms of production, in terms of everything, I like this movie a lot more than the first one. 
Um, Jill Valentine, you know, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing her subsequent appearances. I'm hoping the movies get better as they go on. Um, you know, Resident Evil Apocalypse, like I said, got a $45 million budget. Let's just peek at the next one. 45 so the next one got the same budget 45 mil and i don't want to look at the wikipedia page just in case there are spoilers but i mean how can you spoil a resident evil movie but uh, you know after watching the first one i was like i'm dreading the next five of these movies but I'm I'm glad I watched this one. I liked it a lot more. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to the next movies after watching Apocalypse. Again, I don't I don't know why according to the Wikipedia it became the lowest rated film in the Resident Evil series with a rating of nineteen percent. Then what did Resident Evil get? Um Resident Evil two thousand two got a 35 percent i don't i don't know how that's possible uh i don't know how anyone would prefer 2002's movie compared to this one um i was also confused that alice is not even from the games alice is an original character created for the films Although Anderson noted that Alice was based on the strong women in the Resident Evil games. Uh, I'm a little confused, but let's look at some of the reviews. Um, 19% lowest rated in the series. I, 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 I don't get it. Apocalypse has lots of action, but not much in terms of plot or creativity. Um... Leonard Maltin rated the film a bomb, called it a tiresome sequel that ended up playing more like a remake. Roger Ebert. Um, let me just make sure that, okay. Roger Ebert gave the film a score of half a star out of four, calling it an utterly meaningless waste of time that lacked any wit or imagination and also failed to provide entertaining violence or special effects. Um, he named it the eighth worst film of 2004. Let me just see if I can find his list. Um, I doubt it. Um, top, okay, top ten. A YouTube video? Hopefully someone listed it in the comments. Um, God damn it. I just wasted this podcast minutes. Um, I, I couldn't find it, guys. I couldn't. I couldn't find it. Um, Carrie Ricky gave the film one star out of four, concluding that even for people interested in biological horror genre, Apocalypse was pretty generic stuff. 
Dave Kerr gave the film a positive review praising Anderson's screenplay and describing Witt's direction as fast, funny, smart, and highly satisfying in terms of visceral impact. Russell said, The bad news? The movie is monumentally stupid. The good news? It's a fun kind of stupid. Rabin said that it progressed too slowly to be considered a good film, but when Jovovich finally starts kicking zombified ass, it becomes good enough. Kennigsberg said the film is not without its moments of elemental dread, though he complained there was too much action and padding and not enough irony. I don't know what that means. Kirschling, who gave the film a D-minus rating, praised Jovovich but felt that the rest of the cast was strictly straight to DVD. That's cold. Um, But I can't necessarily disagree but I, I i recommend you check out that first movie and, and see the acting in that one cine fantastique on the other hand commented that jovovich looked bored and that guillory's portrayal of jill valentine was the film's saving grace so you know we got opposing opinions Legacy. In 2009, Time ranked the film as one of the top 10 worst video game films while criticizing all three films released in the Resident Evil series at that time. They concluded that Apocalypse deserved their vote because, like any sequel, it's an enabler. Sequels to bad movies just enable further sequels to be considered. In 2016, separate journalists from Bloody Disgusting ranked it as both the best and worst film in the series. What does... Oh, separate journalists. In 2017, Nordine ranked it as the worst film in the series, saying its only redeeming features were the fact it expanded the series and the awesomely stupid fight between Alice and Nemesis. Man, I... I disagree. I, I I like the movie. I, again, I'm probably overrating it compared to the first one, but I, it was enjoyable. Um, I guess that's it. <laughs> Let me look at my sheet in terms of. So I I, I don't have a complete list, but I have an Excel sheet with for example there's a section plot centered on video games and i reviewed tron from that section and here are a few that i listed nightmares war games joysticks which again i believe is softcore porn cloak and dagger and the last starfighter joe recently talked about the last starfighter on we'll see you in hell so i'm interested in that In terms of theatrical releases, from the beginning, starting with Super Mario Brothers, the only one I'm missing so far is Wing Commander, which I actually, I purchased a DVD of. I'm not proud of it, but I'm hoping it's the right one. I got it for like five bucks, but Freddie Prinze Jr. and Matthew Lilliard. Um, So I'm up to... Resident Evil Apocalypse, there's a, the next three are Alone in the Dark, I believe is a Yui Bowl movie. 
Doom, starring The Rock, I think, and Blood Rain, also starring Jovovich, if not, uh, unless I'm confused. Um, let me s- oh god, let me see if I'm confusing. No, Kristana Loken. I'm confusing movies. Um, Alone in the Dark is directed by Yui Bowl. <sighs> Holding a 1% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, Alone in the Dark is considered one of the worst films ever made. And yet they made a sequel. How how do how does the movie industry work? Um I mean, who funds these things? Alone in the Dark is a 2005 film, 1% approval rating. It grossed $12 million, which that's impressive in and of itself. $12 million gross on a $20 million budget, and it got a sequel. I mean, what group of people says, okay, we're going to fund an Alone in the Dark sequel? So... Get your cameraman, get the director, get the actors. We're going to pay them all a lot of money to do this sequel. Ready, set, go. The sequel stars Lance Hendrickson of Alien fame. Is that Alien? Yeah. I, I, I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it works, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the movies that I have, that I, I don't want to miss any. That's why I got Wing Commander and Alone in the Dark is there. So maybe I'll try to avoid it for a little bit, but we'll see. So that's all I got for this episode, Resident Evil Apocalypse. I, I recommend checking it out, especially after that first one. I think it's much better. Um, I have the Blu-ray. I don't believe it's streaming anywhere unless... Not free anyways. Well, all the streaming services, you have to pay one way or another for the most part. But that's all I got. I'm at an hour 10. Um, thank you for listening. I hope you're well. Please take care of yourselves and each other. Don't abandon your friends. Um, I hope your pets are well and thriving. Whatever your uh, ambitions are, I hope you go for it. You know, life's too short to to be stuck at a dead end job. Personal project, you know. I think an acquaintance of mine, Jason Brubaker. He is a an author and an illustrator. He's a very very good artist. And I don't think, I don't believe he went to college for art, but he's, he, that, that was the thing that struck me the most because I have so much college credit, college accreditation, and I have so little talent. And that's what kind of surprised me about him, Jason Brubaker, but he used to work at DreamWorks. So it's it feels like the dream job, right? You're an illustrator, you're an artist working for a huge animation company doing something you love, art. 
and he ended up he ended up leaving that job to do his own stuff like that's to me it's very inspiring and i believe he made a, a post or a video called the power of personal projects and he ended up doing a project called remind which is a very cool graphic novel i believe it's a graphic novel and he ha he has a bunch of stuff like a bunch of novels and he's begun working on uh art books trying to teach people how to draw and check him out check out his projects his name is Jason Brubaker he actually has a a kickstarter out right now for his female anatomy book check that out um on kickstarter but check out his stuff it's just very inspiring because i just think if you if you have a job that it's only for money and i understand money is important stability is important benefits insurance all that is important i get it but if it's at the expense of your happiness of your personal satisfaction and your soul and your mental health start small think of what you want to get out of this life cuz it's not going to be given to you think about what you want out of this life and start small and start working towards it today tomorrow just start S start messy as think media would say start messy but just keep going you only fail if you stop Thank you for listening. If you like Final Fantasy VII, please check out YouTube.com/slash/OddDrummerGaming. If you like drums and video games, please check out YouTube.com/slash/DrumJ8. Thanks for listening, and say hi to your pets for me. <laughs>